Welcome to the Soul Grit Podcast. I'm Ann Taylor McNeese, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I also love Jesus, and I'm passionate about all things gospel and therapy. I created Soul Grit to be at the intersection of mental health and Christian faith. Christ followers need a place to ask questions and get answers about mental health. Join me as we dive into real stories and real questions from people who want to honor God with their hearts, souls, and minds. Hey, it's Anne. Thank you for being with me on the podcast today. This week's episode is a little different from what we've done in the past. It is an interview. I'm going to be interviewing Kate Ordway, and she is a new friend who is interested in becoming a counselor. So when she emailed me some of her questions about becoming a counselor, I had the idea, you know what? This is a field that's interesting to a lot of people, and I get these questions all the time. So while we did have a conversation on the phone, I thought it'd be really fun for you to listen in so that you would get to hear what that's all about and what it takes to become a counselor. So if you or someone you know is interested in this field and you just kind of want to know what what preparation counselors have or what it takes, or if you're actually considering going into the field yourself, um, or maybe a young person that you know, or even an older person that you know is interested in this, this would be a great uh, podcast episode to pass along. And not only that, but Kate's just a really fun person. Um, She's going to tell you a little bit about where you can find her on social media and also in the podcasting world. So I'm going to get right into that conversation. Um, today we have Kate Ordway. Kate is a new friend that I met through podcasting. She is part of the Mom Struggling Well podcast, and she's agreed to join us today because she is interested in becoming a counselor. So before we get into our conversation, Kate, would you introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure. So like you said, I'm Kate Ordway. I'm just um, a regular mom living in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, I'm a part of a podcast called Mom Struggling Well, and that's how we know each other. <laughs> cool. So, so Kate, what's your background? I know you've been working through your bachelor's degree, correct? Did you finish yes, that? Yes, I did. I finished my bachelor's in communications, which um, I don't know if you know Sarah Brellis, the singer. Mm-hmm. She also has a bachelor's in communications, and she oh, said perfect. it's like... <laughs> I love her so much. <laughs> she said it's like having a degree in Jennifer Aniston's hairstyles where okay. it's fun and it's interesting, but the, I don't know what to do with that. Yeah. So yeah, I kind of just got all of my degrees have kind of just been what is, what will be paid for by my employer. Mm-hmm. And so I have, a I have an associates in architectural drafting, which is interesting and wonderful, but not my calling. Mm -hmm. And then um, communications was paid for by um, another engineering department. Again, not (laughs) my calling, but great. And, and um, like you had said uh, previously in a conversation, it's like just adding to my toolbox. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, but it's not what I ultimately want to do. Yeah. 
So one of the things we connected about is I have a sociology undergrad degree. So my BA is in sociology. And it's not like little kids say, when I grow up, I want to be a sociologist. Like that's not like a thing unless you're an academic and you stay like in the university system. So I pretty much knew when I got that degree that there was going to have to be a graduate degree or some kind of training for me to have like a real job where people paid me, (laughs) Right. you know? So that's the same kind of with a communications degree or a lot of like liberal arts degrees. Like there's not like a career that's attached to them. And that's why it's probably really important that this new kind of vocational training thing is coming out where kids can say, okay, maybe college isn't the best idea unless I want to do lots and lots and lots of college because there's not like really a degree. So um, Kate came to me and she said, okay, so I'm thinking about being a counselor. I want to be able to help people, but I keep getting these different messages and people are saying this about the counseling field or this about the social work field. And I don't know if I'll make money and I don't know what kind of degree I need and all those things. So what we're going to do today is just have a conversation about that because as a counselor, this is, I mean, it's a field that's interesting to a lot of people. So a lot of people ask me these kinds of questions. So I thought, Hey, Kate, why don't we just record a podcast and people can overhear the conversation that we're having. And hopefully it will be helpful to Kate as she's like pursuing the next step in her pathway. And then other people are going to overhear this and hopefully it be helpful for them too. Right. I love it. I wish, gosh, I wish I would have had this podcast in my ears years ago. So I'm excited. But it's not too late. Like, I don't know how old you are, but you're not old and (laughs) you've got young kids. Yeah. I think what was really cool when I was going through grad school, I was in my mid twenties, but a lot of people in my class were in their forties and fifties and they had chosen counseling as a second career. So I went to school in the Bay area a lot of the people were in the tech industry. They are engineers and coders and programmers. Ah. And so it was something totally different from what they had been doing before, which mostly worked with like technology and numbers and that kind of stuff. And now we're working with feelings and words and like fuzzy stuff. So total transition. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because something that has um, come up for me recently, just reflecting on, um, you know, what I want to do and, and what I've done in the past and, and what worked well and what didn't work well. And I remember sitting in an engineering department and thinking, wish I could help people and talk to more people. Like, yes, what I'm doing, I'm doing design work. I'm helping the Navy, I suppose, but it just feels I'm missing something. (laughs) And I do remember talking to an older gentleman, um, at work and I, I, who knows what we were talking about, but I said, how do you feel about that? Like <laughs> a, a drawing. And he said, yeah. I know uh, I don't have feelings about my work. And I, at the time I remember being so taken aback, like, oh, of course, like what a naive, silly girl I am. But that's how I think I am a feelings person. He yeah. clearly was not, yeah. <laughs> but I just feel excited to explore that. Yeah. You know? And, um, One of the things I realized during my training, because marriage and family therapists are trained for relationships, like helping relationships work, whether that's mother, child, um, husband, wife, whatever that is. So one of the skills that we have is kind of uh, 
interpreting or translating. So I can speak man and I can speak woman in this setting where like not everybody has that. Like you have what your own gender, like the way that you think. So sometimes I'll sit across the room from a couple and the man will be saying this thing and the woman's hearing it totally differently. And I'll say, wait a minute, let me tell you what he's really saying. And what I discovered is that you can actually do that with with larger uh, groups, like say an organization. So say there's people on your um, like product development who are saying that, okay, marketing and research shows that we need to appeal to this emotion for people to buy our product. And then you have the engineering team over here that's saying, well, we need these numbers to crunch right for this to work. And there could be somebody like you, Katie, if you were ever um, like, in into this idea that you could speak engineering and you could speak feelings and you could help them communicate and have a happy relationship. Yeah. (laughs) And I feel like I do that all the time naturally anyway. I'm always try to be so objective. I would just, I would really like just start getting paid for that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So many different ways that we could use that. So it is one of those uh, degrees or skill sets that, yeah, there's a job we can do, but there's also a lot of uh, wiggle room and flexibility where you could kind of create the thing, the pathway for yourself. So yeah. let's get into that a little bit. Like sure. basic, what do you have to do? What schooling do you have to do to become a counselor? So exactly. you have to have a bachelor's degree. We know that. Yeah. You're going to also need a graduate degree. Most counselors do a master's degree. And depending on where you are in the country and what university you're going to, they're going to call it different things. Like mine called it a master's of marital and family therapy. Other programs will call it a master's of counseling psychology or a master's of clinical psychology. Okay. Others will call it, um, like if you go more of the social work, you might get a master's of social work. That's an MSW. And that that is a degree that has a job that goes with it. But then you can also go, go further. Some people do get a PhD uh, or a PsyD that, that's like a doctorate in psychology, but okay. you don't have to have those degrees to do counseling. The right. reason that why you might want to pursue a doctorate would be if you wanted to do research like at, in a university okay. or if you wanted to be able to do testing like assessments and uh, evaluations, neuropsychology, like helping people figure out like, do they have learning disorders or do they have um, another type of uh, disorder that might be affecting how they operate in the world? And and psychologists can do that when they have the doctoral level degree. Yeah. And that's something that I learned in the research that I've been doing. I thought you could go get a degree in psychology because to me, that's the so interesting Mm -hmm. and then be a counselor, but you can't. You really, if you go the psychology direction, you then need to add that doctorate. So it's a lot more schooling from what I'm understanding. Yeah. So there would be more school. There would be a dissertation and there's like a postgraduate work that you would do like an internship. So there, there's a lot if you want to go that way. But what I've discovered because I have a master's and I don't have a PhD, I'm thinking about doing that at some point. Okay. But it's super expensive. And if I just want to do counseling, it's not going to really pay itself off over the course of my career, just doing counseling. So if I wanted to branch out into some different areas, like I said, teach at a university or uh, do research or be able to do testing or even sometimes like just 
writing books or something that helps to have like those credentials after your name, Yeah. then I might want to pursue that. But if I'm just going to stay a counselor, I'm not going to make enough more money with the, that degree than I am right. right now with my master's degree. So it just right. really depends on what you want to do with it once it's done. Got it. Yeah. So I am learning that a degree in social work and a degree in counseling mm-hmm. can both get you to, to have a couch and have patients, to, to <laughs> yes. be seeing, to be seeing patients. Um, just tell me a little bit more about what should I be looking for when I'm exploring those two programs? Yeah. I think it really depends on, it's almost like a heart thing. Like what does your heart want to help people in like the one-on-one or, or couples or family therapy s- setting, like in your office, or does your heart think like, maybe if I did a little bit of casework and um, helped people with outside resources in the community or, or learned a little bit more about administration and structures and, and organizations and that type of thing, would that be more fulfilling to me? Because yes, you can do the same. You could go into private practice as a licensed marriage and family therapist or a licensed clinical social worker, and you would do basically the same work, but your degree would prepare you and and your internship would prepare you slightly differently to have a, a different emphasis. So if you think you would maybe like want to work for ca- the county and be able to help people find resources to um, like help pay their bills or help stay safe from abuse or help, uh, you know, some of those more structural things, then a yeah. social work degree is going to provide you with that background as well. A marriage and family degree doesn't really um, help you with that. On the right. other hand, I know a lot of clinical social workers that don't want to touch couples counseling or family counseling because they just, they don't have as much preparation in relationships. And so if relationships are your heart, then it's better to go with a marriage and family therapy degree. Got it. Mm-hmm. I think I'm leaning towards social work only because I, I do feel strongly about the counseling. I do want to to work with people directly in that way. But I also mm-hmm. love the idea of maybe clinical social work where, where we could go like as a team from any kind of rehab situation, mm-hmm. drug, or even just a hospitalization or whatever it is coming out of that with therapy and transitioning back into yeah. a community. So I'm interested yeah. in that part of it. Also, I've got that degree phobia where I've got so many degrees, but it's not the right one. Yeah. So, so I want to go to the, I want to just do the social work degree, the clinical social work degree, which is what I'm understanding is more licensing, a lot more hours, um, mm-hmm. in your internship. Mm-hmm. Um, but it covers so many more bases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with just the master's degree. If you don't go for licensure as a, as a social worker, mm-hmm. you can work in like, you could work in an adoption agency, or you can work for like child protective services, or you could work for a lot of different county programs. Um, 
or nonprofits. You you could have a job like that, but most of those jobs are not going to be therapy or counseling. They're mm-hmm. they're going to need that extra, and and what that really means is the licensure path. And whether you do uh, marriage and family therapy or like licensed professional clinical counselor, licensed mental health counselor, depending on what state you're in, they call them different things. Yes. But um, any of those licensure paths are going to take not only your master's degree, but also a certain number of hours of practice time where you'll be under supervision of somebody that already has a license. And then you're going to be doing all the things that you would do in the job, just checking in with somebody weekly to make sure you're doing the right thing. Right. So like for me in California to be a licensed marriage and family therapist, it takes 3000 hours before you can sit for your exams. And So uh, they gave us six years to do that. And I took all of the years because I was having babies. Yeah. (laughs) And and so, you know, we had to have a certain amount of um, individual hours with clients and couple hours and family hours and hours of education and like, like different categories that we had to fulfill. And then some of those were the supervision hours where we'd be meeting with a supervisor. And then once that whole process, which can take anywhere from, like I said, two to six years, then once you do that whole process, then you get these big gnarly tests that you have to take at the end. Oh my gosh. It's wild how much work. It is a lot of work. You know, when I was growing up, I wanted to be a doctor. Like I wanted to be an OBGYN and like pull babies out. That's that's the job I wanted to do. And then when I got through college, I was like, oh, I don't want to be like 30 when I start my career. Ew, 30. (laughs) I would be so old. So then after like I went through that whole process, when I got licensed, I was 33 and I was like, damn it. Yeah. Well, I'm here now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. So I have another question. So Go we've kind it. of, we've kind of gone through school. We've gone through the licensing process before we started talking. Um, and this sounds silly now, but I didn't realize there was um, the internships that are built into your master's degree. Mm-hmm. Um. So after I graduate and, and I become licensed, do I just, do I just buy a couch and I <laughs> buy people in or like, tell me about what it looks like um, if you are licensed and you are practicing on your own now. Okay. Yeah. Well, part of that internship period. So one of the semesters or two of the semesters, depending on your program, while you're still in your master's program, you will be taking classes and doing all that, but you'll also be doing what's called a practicum. Uh, There might be some different names for it, but it's where you're starting to get that counseling experience, but you're still in the program. You're still working on your master's. So once you've graduated. Sorry to interrupt you. Mm -hmm. So when you're doing your practicum and you're still in the program, not to not graduated yet. Do any of those hours count toward your licensing? Yes, Yes, for sure. So once you've graduated and you have your master's degree now, you already have some of your hours. Got it. Okay. And then you've had extra support from classmates and your practicum teacher and, you know, other people that are helping you figure it all out in the beginning. Okay. And, but then once you're 
uh, once you've graduated, you move into a different status, which it used to be called intern in California and now it's called associate. So depending on where you are, I don't know what it's called in Connecticut, but associate is one of the uh, accepted terms. And it means that you've graduated, but you don't have your license yet. So that means you're working under supervision of another licensed therapist. So that's the difference between an internship and a practicum? Yeah. So practicum is while you're still in school. Internship was when you graduated, but you're not licensed yet. Got it. But like I said, now we're calling it associate because a lot of people had this kind of doubt about, well, that says intern. Do I really want an intern to be my therapist? So associate gave the public more of the feeling of, you know, like I can trust that this person knows what they're doing. Got it. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. But it's the same thing. Okay. Um, so then you do your internship. And like most people recommend that you look for different settings. So like when I was an intern, I actually, when I was in practicum, I worked in a school. So I was working with elementary school students during their school day on campus okay. with them. But then when I graduated, I worked w- as part of a group practice, a Christian counseling center. And so I had lots of other therapists working around me in that group practice. And then after that, I worked in an agency, which is like more like county mental health where the county sent us people that were paid for with state insurance. And we did like reunification for like child protective services and and that kind of counseling. And then after that, I moved back into school counseling and then I moved into private practice. So a lot of people will say like, get experience in a lot of different settings because you don't know what you're going to like before you do it. And also all of those different things teach you different skills, like working in the agency for County mental health, like that was a pain in the butt, but it taught me to write really good documentation. Okay. Like I know how to diagnose people. I know how to write treatment plans. Like I didn't get that in the private practice setting. So each of those things teach you different things. So you'll pick a variety of experiences. And then finally, after you've taken your test, you can decide, okay, do I want a job that's going to have like vacation and benefits and retirement? Because then I'll go apply for, you know, a group practice or an agency or something like that. And then they'll give me those things. They're also going to tell me which clients I have to see and when I have to be there. You know? So there's a little bit less freedom there. Um, a lot of people move from that setting into solo private practice like I did because like we're moms. We want to be able to take off and see our kids play if we need to. Or yeah. kind of uh, make your own hours, right? Yeah, okay. yeah exactly. So... Private practice doesn't mean, because when I think private practice, I think like you were saying solo private practice, but mm-hmm. there's private practice. That's also basically group group. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and there's a lot of different ways to do that. Like I could run a group practice and hire different clinicians and then they mm-hmm. would basically like, I would collect the money and then I would pay them out of the money, you know, like a portion, yeah. but I would be covering like their overhead and all those expenses. Right. So okay. That might be a little bit easier for some people if they didn't want to have to deal with like billing and scheduling and all the administrative sides. They just want to come in and see clients. Got it. Um, But there's the most flexibility when you're doing private practice. On the other hand, 
it's also like, like for me, it's a one man show, one girl show. Like I do all the billing, all the scheduling, all the promotion, marketing, all, you know, all the phone calls, like everything is just me. (laughs) So that can be overwhelming too. Right. So the setting that I have right now, I have an office that has like three counseling rooms and a waiting room. And, and I have one of the offices full time. And then I have a colleague who is also a mom, is also a Christian, is also, you know, just like a powerhouse therapist. Yeah. And we, we share a wall we share the space, but her business is totally independent from my business. So, so we run our own things. We just kind of like being together because it can actually be a really lonely job if you're just doing it with like one-on-one counseling. I bet. Okay. So I have a question about that. Yeah. How do you make sure that you're not bringing all the feelings home with you? Do you see a counselor yourself? Yes. In okay. fact, I just did this morning. That's great. <laughs> yeah. And so we were talking about. what other things about. do you do? Yeah. So I think along the way I developed kind of like a compartment for work in my brain, mm-hmm. you know, like I know that if I get too emotionally involved that I won't be good at my job. Like, so when people are telling me their hard stuff, I'm going through in my brain, like, what do I know that would help them? Like, what tools do I have? What can I bring forth in this moment that's going to help? And sometimes it's, you know, just listening and being there. But if I'm too like caught up in my own emotions, like I'm not going to do a good job of that. So okay, it's just like, like there's this divide in my brain of like, I'm working right now, you know? Okay. But then there are things that I bring home, especially if it's anything that kind of touches on something that you're dealing with for yourself. Yeah. So like, imagine if a client like lost a child or something, like you would come home and you would hug your kids tight, you know? Right. Right. Or like my, my husband knows when I was an intern, I was working with somebody that had really severe sexual abuse from childhood uh, all the way up through. And I always saw that client on Tuesdays. And my husband would know there's no business happening on Tuesdays, you know? So like, you just kind of have to work that out in your life with the people that are around you. But there's also, you know, general self-care that everybody has to do. Like I work out every day. I get eight hours of sleep. I try to eat healthy food. I am a part of a church community. I spend time with God. Like all of those things are part of that. Okay. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, that seems doable. (laughs) Not easy, but doable. Right. Yeah. Mm. So one of the things we had talked about briefly on our phone conversation before this recording was like, why would somebody choose to go to like a Christian program versus a secular program? Yeah. I didn't even know there were Christian programs. Yeah. Tell me everything. So this is something that I'm really excited about, obviously. Um, So I went to seminary and the reason why I wanted to go to seminary was not to become like a preacher or a pastor, but because I, I knew that even within like counseling psychology, there would be, um, this really important part of spirituality that would have to come in. Like if we're looking at the whole person, like your spirituality is part of your identity, right? Right. So I wanted a program that was going to be able to really address that and integrate those things. So by going to seminary, I not only got all of my like clinical and counseling classes, I also got 
um, New Testament, Old Testament, hermeneutics, theology, like all, all of these kind of like things that pastors would have to study. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then to tie those together, we had integration classes. So we had specific professors who were there to teach us how to take everything we'd learned on like the Bible th theology side and then everything we'd learned on the clinical side and marry those together. That is so, so cool. Yeah. So I thought that was really important for me, but there's a ton of people that get their counseling degrees at state universities or other secular colleges, and they still do really good work and they can still follow Jesus. They yeah. just maybe don't have like that leg up on, um, you know, being able to integrate. Right. Or putting it into words, which is difficult yeah. for a lot of people. Yeah. Like, ding, ding, ding me. So that's, that's wonderful. Yeah. I'm definitely going to look for programs like that when I'm shopping. So one thing to consider with that is that in general, like if you went to a state university, it's going to be cheaper. And is it, you know, it doesn't make you more holy to go to a Christian school and then have a lot of debt, <laughs> you know? Okay. So what's an, what's an option to, can I speak on that stuff? Like, you know, when I'm looking up counselors and I see, okay, so she's actually a social worker, but it says that one of her specialties is Christianity. Like mm -hmm. I know that she's a Christian and, and that is something that I look for in my counselors. Yeah. Is there like a credential that you have to have to put that on there? Or can you just simply say, I am a Christian counselor. I am a Christian yeah. and I am a counselor. Yeah, it's super tricky because there isn't like a credentialing body. Like there's no state board of Christian whatever, you know. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> there are some uh like certificate programs out there that you could do like online or by going to conferences and things like that where you could say I've done some extra study in this area. Okay. But they're not well known and it's it's kind of a tricky area. So like last summer I wrote uh, an e-course because of this particular issue, because I saw there's people that are coming out of uh, like secular universities who are Christian, they love Jesus and they're good counselors, but they have no idea how to marry those two. Okay. So, so I have a course, it's called faith integration for therapists, and it teaches you all about that. So I felt like there was like a, a need in that area. Like how, how do you do this? Because you know, a lot of us worry the same as like a public school teacher might worry about, oh, can I tell like students about my faith in public school? Mm -hmm. Like, what are the guidelines of that? Like Got a it. lot of therapists worry about that too. Like, I want to be like ethically clear on this and mm -hmm. I don't want anybody to feel like I'm proselytizing or any of that, pushing my faith okay. on them. But they said they're Christian and I'm a Christian. So like, can't we talk about that? <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. So I, I teach people how to do that in like an ethical, healthy, appropriate way. I love that. That's yeah. awesome. I didn't even know that. Yeah. So I don't promote it very much right now, but like, that's, that's something that I'm hoping to help. Like, as we're looking at giving Christians more access to mental health care, like yeah. one of the things is we need more therapists who are Christians who want to talk about it, you know? Right. So this is just my little way of putting that together and not to do like a whole commercial in the middle of the episode here, but. <laughs> oh no, it's but wonderful. I mean, it's perfect. Yeah. So there, there's different ways you can do it, but no, there's not like a, 
a specific credential or certification for you to say, I am now a Christian counselor. Got it. And I have to do your own work on it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this is all, those are all my questions. I do want to say that's something that helped me as I was shopping when we talked last week was that you said the degree matters less and the licensing matters more. Yeah. And, and that's just really good to know. (laughs) Yeah. So when you're looking for a program, what you really want to do is see where their accreditation is. And so like Kate, you are a military spouse. So chances are you're going to be moving around the country more than once. It's just how it goes. And so if you want to be able to practice in more States than just Connecticut or just California, like you will have to look for a program that's nationally accredited. And then you will also want to pursue a license that can do that. So there's like a a national counseling exam that you can take so that your license will transfer easily to each state. But something that's probably different about the United States than other places is because we have 50 different jurisdictions, Mm. you have to be licensed only in the jurisdiction where you live and work. Right. And you can pick up, like I could be licensed here in Texas and Idaho if I wanted to. Right. But I'd have to go through that process to get those licenses. I don't just get one for the whole country. That's right. And so what I'm finding also is that my hours, my supervised hours can count towards licensing in another state. And I'm looking specifically at social work at this mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Or when I was looking at the licensing, but that I would have to pass tests for the state laws, yes. learn about the state laws. So yeah. a lot of research on licensing out there. Yeah. So like depending on where you originally get your license and then where you want to move to, like sometimes it's easier and sometimes it's harder. So like yeah. California is a pretty tough state to get licensed in. So if you have the California license, sometimes um, transferring to smaller states is just like you learn their local laws, yeah. you're reading a book, and then you take a test. And it's not like, it's just like a jurisdiction test. So, so you just know what the laws are for that particular area. Right. But they're going to trust that California trained you well to do all the clinical stuff. Oh my so. goodness. You would hope so all the years and all the <laughs> tests. Holy moly. Yeah. That was yeah. a big, big sense of accomplishment to go through all of this. I don't know if people realize that, how, no. how big it is, but yeah, yeah, I surely didn't. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. So I'm really eager to see like where God takes you on your journey and like, what's the next step? I know you have a big move coming up, so you'll be joining me here in California. Yeah. Hopefully soon. And um, then you can see uh, what programs work for you then. Yeah. You know, because your heart is for people and for people to be like in touch with their feelings and to know what that means for them. Like you will, you will find your place, you know, with all those skills, like your engineering skills and your communication skills. And they're all needed in the kingdom of God and, and in the field of therapy, uh, frankly, like people who can communicate well, people who can write, people who can make something look good. Like that's, that's yeah. part of it too. So I'm really excited for you, Kate. <laughs> Thank you. You're the best. So, yeah. Such an encouragement. Good. So before we wrap up, one of the, the things we ask at, at the end of every episode is what are you doing for soul care? 
Okay. So I, we do this at the end of our podcast as well. Something similar, right? What's giving you life. And I just have the hardest time every week coming up with just one answer. So oh. I've got a couple short yeah, little Share answers. as much as you want. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So for me, number one is counseling. I <laughs> needed counseling for quite a while and finally, finally did. Um, just in the last six, maybe, maybe only like four months. And it has just lifted so much from me. I just, I am so thankful for my counselor. That was um, the perfect answer for this podcast. So gold, oh good, yeah. gold star, Kate. <laughs> Yay, I aced it. Good points. <laughs> okay. So then I have some that are a little less deep. Hmm. Um, naps. Because oh, of yeah. counseling, I have no guilt about taking naps. It's the craziest thing. Like my body can actually do it now. I told myself forever, mm-hmm. like, I'm not a nap taker. I can't do it. But I felt guilty for doing something for myself. Turns out sleep is not something you should feel bad about. No, it's something that really sets the foundation for your mental health. (laughs) Yeah, it's like a a really big deal. So anyway, naps, they're not selfish. What do you do with your kids when you're napping? Oh, they're on screens. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? They nap every day because I've always had a work from home situation Mm -hmm. or, you know, doing school, online school. We've napped forever. 1.30 to 3.30 every day. That's so good. Napping. How old are your kids right now? Six and eight. Okay. So so they're not actually napping. Quiet time, right? Correct. They're listening to like audio books on Alexa, but it's magical. I failed at that. I did not get my kids to do quiet time. <laughs> Don't you dare say that you failed and it's never too late. That's what so many moms say that. Mm. Oh, I wish I had done that. Well, yeah. it's never too late. You, yeah. you're the boss. You, you know say- what happened this week though? My eight-year-old uh, was found under the bed with his Kindle tablet when he wasn't supposed to be and Mm -hmm. lied to my face about it. And so, so he got screens taken away for the whole week. Yeah. This is a punishment for mommies. I know it's painful. It's really hard to stick to your guns on that one. The other kids are going, wait, we have to be punished because he can't watch screens. So now we can't watch screens. (laughs) That's tricky, man. I got to come up with a different punishment. (laughs) (laughs) That's the one that hurts the most though, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What's your other thing? Okay. So naps. Um, and then this one is a real surface. I like to keep it surface sometimes and just fun. Have you ever tried an epilator? No. Is that like pulls your hairs out? It pulls your hairs out. (laughs) It does. It surely hurts. This is not going to be a commercial for them, but I love that thing because I feel like shaving your legs is just pointless because it's just painful and epilators. That's the way to go. Yeah. Just wait till you move to California. Bare legs all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that's it for me. Oh, funny. Okay. Thank you. Um, do you have an epilator brand or something that you like the best? You know, I was looking them up because I, I bought this thing years ago and they must have blown up in the last couple mm. of years and become cool or something because <gasps> okay. they're almost, they're like $75 is like the cheapest one I can yeah, find. They're pricey. Yeah. But I've had it for so long. It's lasted for years. I think it's brawn. Brand. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Brand. Cool. <laughs> I love it though. That's I don't so have funny. to do it as often. Yeah. Okay. So I mentioned at the beginning that like we connected through mom struggling. Well, I've been listening to your podcast for 
I don't know, four or five years. And, um, you know, it started with your sister, Emily, and then she brought you on as the assistant, as you say. And so you do a lot of like the behind the scenes work for the podcast, but now you're also one of the co-hosts. So it's kind of fun to hear your dialogue too. I'm just going to say to my listeners, if you ever want to feel like you have like friends that you don't know and you get to like overhear their conversations, it's super fun. And I think I commented one time in the Facebook group that I should not listen to you guys while I'm walking because <laughs> I will pee my pants because I laugh so much. <laughs> I love that. That's yeah. my favorite part. My favorite part of the whole podcast. Number one, I'm super proud of Emily, you know, yes. for starting it so many years ago. Um but I love the community and yeah. I love hearing where people are at when they're laughing, laughing yeah. on treadmills, laughing in their car. Yeah. yeah. Just like crazy. I appreciate yeah. I, I would look like a crazy lady walking around my neighborhood at six 30 in the morning and just like cracking up. And <laughs> so happy. Yeah. It's so fun. And so uh, like my interview with Emily a few years ago was really what like made me interested in podcasting. Like I had that conversation. I was like, Oh my gosh, that's so fun. I want to do it for myself, you know? And so that's why we're here. So it's really fun to kind of come a little bit more full circle and have you come on here and share your journey and, and we'll follow up with you and see where you're going next and all of that. But why don't you tell people like how they can find all of that stuff if they wanted to start listening to you guys or, or to connect with you on Instagram or any of that? Sure. Yeah. So we're um, at Mom Struggling Well on Instagram, uh, MomStrugglingWell.com, and it's free podcast every other week. Um, we also have a, a paid version as well. That's a little more. Um, you know, we're all three Christians, but the the ones that we do on a platform called Patreon are a little more silly, right? Yeah. Loose, not uh, explicit or anything like that. But they're just a little more loose. Um, yeah, I think that's that's all our stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're at Kate Ordway. Yep. I'm at Kate Ordway on Instagram. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for being here. It was really fun to talk to you and kind of get some of those questions out. I know some of us was a little bit more like technical and just. Oh, it's perfect. I need all of it. Yeah. I appreciate you being like the guinea pig for this type of episode, which is a little bit different. So thanks for being here. Sure. Appreciate you. The Soul Grit Podcast is a production of Soul Grit Resources. You can find more at soulgritresources.com or on the socials at soulgritresources. You can email me at info at soulgritresources.com.